you, Jason Zeta, also known as Jay-Z. It's going to stick, I'm telling you. Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you all here. Glad you're here. If you're visiting, uh, especially glad to have you. Uh, we are honored that you're going to trust us with your time. And if you're looking for a church home, um, as you heard in the live welcome, just encourage you to fill out that welcome card. Let us know you were here today uh, so we can reach out to you and get connected with you and help you get connected with us. Uh, if you're joining us online, glad to have you. Wish you were here in person, but glad you're connected that way. Uh, if you know somebody who's at home today, sick, traveling, or for whatever reason isn't here, um, reach out to them this week and just let them know you miss seeing them. And uh, maybe set up a time to go by and say hi. Uh, take them to coffee. Give them a hug. Uh, it's, it's nothing like being here together in person. Like that's just really what we were meant for. So uh, we are in a series uh, entitled The Greatest Commandments, and we are going to continue in that this morning. So we're looking at the greatest commandments according to Jesus to love God, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And uh, the first part of that idea of loving God means that we really need to know who he is. It's hard to love someone you don't know. And so throughout this first part of the series, we're spending seven weeks uh, looking at who is God. And the first couple of weeks, really just super high level, who is God as a divine being and, uh, and as we go along through these seven weeks, we're kind of moving from who is God to what is God like. And today, we're going to begin to talk about what is he like to be with. What is it truly like to be in the presence of this God who is holy, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, um, who, is, who was and is and is to come, all these high-level views of who God is. Well, what's it like being with him? What is it like to be in his presence, to pray to him and to hear from him? And so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, just going to make it through a few verses, uh, but just a little taste test, we're actually coming back uh, starting in early summer, we're going to go through 1 John word by word, verse by verse, and so we'll actually come back to this passage somewhere around September, October, uh, but we're going to hit a few verses here this morning. And so um, this, this begins with a really important word, uh, I'll start in verses 7 and 8, let's read this together. Uh, verse 7 starts with the word beloved. And this is the second time just in this chapter this has shown up. Uh, actually, the first word of this chapter in verse 1 is beloved. Uh, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Now, those two verses really outline everything we're going to talk about this morning, uh, starting with this identity marker for you, you, the church, us, the church, we're called the beloved. Okay, And so as John lays that language out, he is making sure that we understand he is writing this letter to those who are already loved. So he's not telling you what you need to do if you want to get God's love. He's not showing you all the boxes you need to check in your daily routine to make sure you stay in the love of God. He is making sure that you and I understand before we did anything to reciprocate, before we did anything to even ask for, God first loved us. That you and I, as the church, we are already loved by God. We are the beloved. And so after that, he says then here, let us love one another. So there's going to be this connection between we who are already loved 
are being now called to, and I would say even more than that, commissioned to love one another. Those who have already received God's love are now commissioned to take that love and share it with, bend it out towards those around us. Beloved, love one another. The very next phrase says this, and this is where we're starting to get into the identity of who God is. He says this, for love is from God. And this word, this language being used here is really describing God as the source of love. The word translates come out of or to source from inside of. So whatever love is, and we'll get to a definition of love in a minute, whatever love is, it comes from a specific source, and that source is God himself. Okay, so God is not just one of many sources of love, but he is the source of love. I want you to think about that. There has been, if that is true, there has been no love had in the history of the world that didn't first come from God. Like there's one well, if you will, to go to to find love, and that is the well of God's heart. Love is from God. It comes out of God. It's sourced from inside of God. But then he makes another statement here about our identity. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God. And the phrase before that, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he puts it in kind of a really simple uh, equation, if you will. How do you know if you are saved? How do you know if you've been born of God? He says, I'll tell you this way. Like, anyone who knows God loves. That's how you know. But I'll tell you something else. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God. Now, there's some kind of soul check in that, isn't there? Some pause to stop and go, wait a second. I've been wearing the t-shirt. I've been showing up to church. I've got my favorite worship station dialed in on Spotify. I'm doing all the things that would mark me as a Christian. Yet what I just read was this, that if I'm not actually loving others, John's like saying, hey, bro, you you don't know God. And the flip side of that is you you can't know God and not love. And so there's definitely a a moment here where all of us need to just stop and pause and think about the weight of those words. As John lays this out, it's all aiming at this one phrase, because God is love. That is a monumental phrase. It actually shows up twice in this chapter, so we know that John didn't make a grammatic mistake as he was writing this out. It's not like he he meant to say God is loving. That's how a lot of us think of God. He is loving, and that means something, but that's not what he says. He says God is love. And then later on in verse 16, he will reiterate it with the same language, God is love. So think about the difference. If we just say God is loving, we're talking about one of his attributes, right? We're talking about what God is like. He's loving among many other things. And that's true. You can look at how God interacts with his people in the Bible and go, he's a really loving God. 
Um, I hope that you can look at your own story and, and you're able to see God has been loving towards you. But what John is saying here is actually bigger than that. Because he's saying God is love. And there are very few phrases like that in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6 says that God is one. Uh, in John chapter 4, we, we, we read that God is spirit. And then later on, or in 1 John chapter 1, God is light. Beyond that, we don't get a whole lot of God is phrases. You with me? You, you will get phrases that describe him as being kind and gracious and merciful and all-knowing and all-powerful. But specific phrases in the Bible that mark God this way, this is unique. God is love. So here's what I want you to think of. God is love, this phrase, is a definitive statement about God's nature and his essence. Love is not just an attribute that God possesses, but is central to his very being. Love is intrinsic in God's character, and everything he does, listen to this, is rooted in love. Because love is not just an attribute that he does sometimes, God is love. That means that everything he does is rooted in love. All actions of God, even those we might not immediately understand as loving, come from a place of love because God cannot act contrary to his nature. If God is love, everything he does is loving. Even those things in the moment that don't immediately feel like love. I want you to think about that. God has never done anything unloving towards you. I've got some pain in my story. I don't know about you. And I've had some moments where I tried to hold God accountable for that pain and Brought my anger to him. Why is this happening to me? Why me? And whatever was going on did not feel loving at all. But what John just said is that everything God does is loving because God is love. I'll just give you a personal example and I'll say this. I have not been able to reconcile every pain in my life uh, with the love of God. There will be some things that when I see him face to face, I'm going to be like, yeah, can you help me with this one? Like, I know I got up in front of the church and said, you are love and everything you do is loving, but I can't see it in this moment. Can you help me see it? But one example from my own story, one of the most painful things that I've experienced so far in life was um, a father who went to prison when I was five. Uh, my parents got divorced, and so therefore I was raised by a single mom. And I didn't know much about this man who I called dad. I had a few fragmented kind of postcard memories from which I drew this portrait of a hero who I admired and who was larger than life, but he wasn't around. He was in prison, and so I can remember, you know, third grade, fourth grade, my prayer life had a lot of anger in it. Like, why isn't my dad in my life, God? And I was blaming God for that pain. That, that didn't feel very loving that God would allow a little boy to grow up with his, well, his dad. Um, it wasn't until probably... 
my dad passed away around eight years ago. Still, I didn't know who he was. I ha- just knew the, the portrait of who I thought he was. And uh, I was driving on 30. For whatever reason, I was lamenting that dad was not, like I was still angry about that. That was, whatever, six, seven years ago. And I remember praying to God and taking my anger once again to God, now as an adult who has two boys of his own. And I was like, God, this is just a painful part of my story. I don't understand. I don't see you as loving in this part of my story. And I've had very few um, audible moments with God or moments with God where like, like I know I heard his voice and this was one of them. And, And God in a moment allowed me to see what he rescued me from by not allowing me to grow up in the home with that man. And I still didn't know the whole story, just God in his tenderness and his kindness said, Jason, I actually rescued from you from something that would have been horrific. Fast forward a few years later, I started doing some family research and trying to get to know my story better. And in that, who was this guy who I called dad and, and came to learn that my dad was a very violent criminal. Like, it was a very gracious and kind thing that God did, (laughs) taking that man out of my home. And I was able to see that as an expression of God's love. Now, that doesn't mean that I've been able to reconcile everything that has been painful or or that has lacked understanding. So I don't want you to to leave here today going, okay, I've got to be able to connect God's love to everything. But here's what I would say. We can start with this foundational truth. If God is love, then everything he does is loving. Even the things that don't make sense to me in the moment. And there will be a day where he will reconcile your story in a way that you're able to see him as a loving father. The fullness of who he is. We'll pick this back up in verse 9. Now we're going to work towards a definition of love. That's important. We just said that God is love and everything he does is loving But in the world we live in, what does that mean? Right? Like, go try to find a definition of love on X, formerly known as Twitter, or on Facebook or on social media. And it's like, you're going to find the definition of love is, is growing broader and broader by the minute. And becoming more and more vague by the minute. And so in this same passage, John is going to define love for us. In the next two verses, he has two... Twice he will say, in this is love. And so you could read it as, this is love. So verse 9 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John is laying out a definition of love. It's actually the second time he does this in this particular letter. In the previous chapter, somewhere around verse 16, he does the same thing. This is love. So John really wants you and I to understand what not just biblical love is, but what true love is, which is described for us in the Bible. When he says God is love, he's saying, but this is what love is. And so here, what does he say to us? The first phrase he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, visible. 
So if you want to know what love is, he's going to say, hey, there's a, there's a visible expression of this. There's a video reel of what love looks like. And here it is. Here's the video. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So something about Jesus, the son, leaving the right hand of the father, incarnating into our world, taking on our skin, our flesh, our humanity, and walking among us. But not only that, what Jesus did through his death and resurrection that you and I might have life, that is what love looks like. If you want to watch the movie that defines love, that's the movie. That's the, that's the video reel. God sent his son into the world that you and I might have life. And then the second phrase, in this is love, verse 10, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If that word propitiation is tripping you up, it's okay. It's the way the ESV uh, translation is going to translate the Greek word that describes Jesus as a substitute sacrifice. It's a big word. We don't use that in any other setting, propitiation, but that's what that means. Jesus took your place on the cross as a sacrifice. He was the propitiation for your sins. He atoned for, he paid for your sins and my sins. He took our place. But if we back up, what is John saying around this definition of love? He first says this. This is what love looks like. It looks like a loving father sending his son into the world for our benefit. That's what love looks like. God the Father sending his son into the world for our benefit. That's what love looks like. And the second thing is this. God initiated this. This is really important. God took the first step towards you. Like some of you here today may be in your mind thinking you're taking some steps towards God. And you are, but what I want you to know is God took the first step. And that you're going to find that if you meet him, he has been moving towards you before you move towards him. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God initiated a relationship with us by sending his son to take our place on the cross. And John's saying, you want to know what love looks like? That's what love looks like. I'm going to give you some examples from the scriptures of what love looks like according to John. And then I'm going to give us a, a, a definition of love to work from. First example I would go to would be back to the Gospel of John in chapter 15, where Jesus says this in in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That, that, That keeps coming up, doesn't it? What's the greatest commandment? Love God, love others. You don't even, if you know God, you're gonna love others. If you don't love others, you don't know God. And here in this passage, this is my commandment, that you love one another, how? As I have loved you. But then he goes on to say this, greater love, so the metric of love, the measurement of love, greater love has no one than this. So think about that. What he's about to say is this is the greatest expression of this thing we're talking about love. 
the greatest expression that someone laid down his life for his friends. So something about sacrifice becomes a metric for love. And he's quoting Jesus here. He's saying, like, you want to know what the greatest expression of love is? It's when you lay down your life for your friends. John 3.16, very, very commonly known passage. For God so loved the world, or he loved the world so much that he did what? He gave his only son. So is that consistent with what Jesus said in John 15? No greater love has this than a man would lay down his life for his friends. John 3.16, God loved the world so much. Okay, we're looking for an expression of laying down your life. For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And there's this benefit for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I love that new song we sing together. Oh, but God. And Jen read from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. But God did all these things for us. In Romans 5, we get another but God phrase. Uh, I love this expression of love in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us. How did he do that? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we had nothing to give in return, when we had no way to reciprocate, that's when God moved towards us and loved us. So God is not, you know, sitting across the gym waiting for you to come ask him to dance. He's already moving towards you. He's moving towards me. And the greatest expression, if you want to know, well, how much does he love me? You won't find it in your bank account. You won't find it in the square footage of your home. You won't find it in your career path or the title next to your name. The greatest expression of how much God loves you will be seen in the death of his son. That's what John's saying. Jesus is like, hey, there's no greater expression of love than laying your life down for somebody you love. And John's coming back around in 1 John and going, man, this is, this is love. Laying your life down. Sacrificing something that matters to you for the benefit of the one whom you claim to love. Oh, yeah initiated by the one who loves with no strings attached. And that's what Romans 5.8 is saying. You, there were no strings attached because you couldn't do anything to pay him back. So here's a working definition of love, and we'll put this on the screen. This is what I believe is a biblical description of love. It is a selfless and compassionate desire for the good of the one who is loved initiated by the one who loves with no expectation of anything in return. Let those words just sink in. Compare that to how you understand God's love for you. Do you believe that God's love is selfless and compassionate? I mean, I I can't think of anything more selfless 
than to give up your son for the benefit of someone else. Is God compassionate? When I take my my anger to God, does he get angry back at me or does he respond with gentleness and kindness and compassion? Is he truly selfless and compassionate and does he actually have a desire for my good? Does he do things that actually are for my good? (laughs) Even when I can't see it. Yes. Initiated by who? By him. Ephesians 2. Even when I was dead in my trespasses, but God made me alive. Romans 5.8. Right? But God. God is the one who initiates this love relationship with no expectation of anything in return. And this is going to be the one that trips some of us up. This is where we start drifting into the waters of legalism. Okay, I believe all those things are true about God's love as long as I keep up with my end of the bargain. As long as I make it to church, as long as I, and you go through the list of things. Now, God has called you to things. He's commissioned you to do things in the world. But what you have to understand is you imagine the gauge of his love for you, it doesn't go up and down with your obedience. That's the part that's hard for a lot of us to reconcile. We're used to loving humans, right? And the love that other humans have for us oftentimes seems to go up and down with our performance or what they can get from us or how well, right, we're checking the boxes, And so to maintain relationships, we got to maintain our performance in the world. And God is saying to you, I came to you and loved you when you had nothing to perform with. Here is the invitation of the gospel from God to you. Take what I am offering and it is yours. But what what do you want in return? No, 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 you're, you're missing it. Take what I am offering and it is yours. That is the invitation of the gospel. Well, what do I need to do to, to pay you back and just to show you that I'm really grateful? No, you, you can't. No, nothing? Nope. Well, somebody's going to have to. Yep, my son did it. Jesus, he actually did all that was required of you. He already did it. So, like, you trying to do it again, one, you're not going to meet the standard. But number two, like, it's already done. That box has already been checked in eternity. When my son came to earth and lived perfectly, His obedience becomes your blessing. He sees you the way he sees Jesus. So now your earthly obedience does not move his love for you. It's a big deal. This is love. It's a selfless and compassionate desire for the good of the one who is loved, initiated by the one who loves with no expectation of anything in return. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the famous passage on love. And this is the Bible telling us once again what love is. And I want you to see if this description of love is consistent with what we've talked about so far this morning. See if it aligns with the definition I just gave you. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love is sourced in God. It comes from him. God is love. Everything he does is loving. Everything he does is loving. So, beloved, you who are already loved by God, let us now think about what it looks like to love one another. Let us remind ourselves that love is sourced in God. Here's here's where we pause for a minute and we remind ourselves that anyone who does not love does not know God, but anyone who loves others knows God and has been born of God. Because why? Because God is love. So I'm going to land with some reflection questions for us to think about uh, before we transition to baptism. Here's some some questions for you to think about this morning. First of all, I want you to think about this definition of love. So how does the definition of love as a selfless and compassionate desire for the good of the one who is loved, initiated by the one who loves, we had that other phrase on there, with no expectation of anything in return. So how does that definition challenge the way you think about love? How does it challenge the way you love? A few more questions to think about. How have you experienced this kind of love in your own story? I just gave you an example from my story, but where does this kind of love show up in your story? Whether you're six years old or 106 years old, if God is love, everything he's done has been loving, this kind of love has shown up in your story. I want you to think about the people who are in your life, friends, friends at school, friends at work, friends in your neighborhood, family members. Who are some uh, people in your life with whom you can reflect this kind of love in a practical way? I mean, that's the command now, go love one another. So we should be thinking about, well, God, who have you put in my life that I could then love this kind of this way? Who are some people who come to mind for you? Maybe before you leave here today, shoot them a text. Hey, can we have coffee on Tuesday? Can we get together for lunch? Do you have time for a phone call later today? Like, take steps to move towards others. And then along those same lines, what steps could you take this week to treat others in a way that reflects the love you have experienced from God? What would this look like to to show our children this kind of love? What would it look like to show those closest to us this kind of selfless, compassionate love, right? That is, that is an initiating kind of love. Like, I go first. If I'm not waiting for my wife to get her attitude straight, I'm going to move towards her. Because probably I'm the one who needs to get his attitude straight, if we're being honest, right? An initiating love, a love that has no strings attached. What would it look like for you to walk out that kind of love this week 
in the relationships around you. I'm going to pray for us now, and, and then we're going to transition to baptism. And just want you to know before our service ends today, um, we'll uh, at some point during the last song, there will be some people standing here at the front on both sides. These are our prayer partners. Um, they've come to church today looking for somebody who wants to be prayed for. So that's you. Come grab one of them. Let them pray for you. Um, if you want to talk to a pastor or elder um, about what does it look like to, to start a relationship with this God who is love, um, we'll be around. I'll be here. Other pastors and elders are in the room, and we'll be out in the commons, and we'd love to, to step away and just talk to you more about how to have a relationship um, with Jesus. Um, we're about to witness baptism. Some of you may be sitting here today going, man, I've been thinking about baptism for a long time, and, and so maybe today would be the day you just say that out loud to somebody. Um, you could just let somebody at the welcome desk know, and they'll connect you with a pastor, or you could let one of us know direct. Um, we'll set up a time to talk about maybe your baptism experience. Um, wherever you're at today, I'm going to pray over us, and then um, we're going to transition to baptism. So let me pray. Um, Father, thank you for um, this beautiful, clear, convicting description of what real love is. And so we just want to acknowledge right now, God, that any form of true love uh, comes from you and that God you truly are love God even in moments in our life and our story where it doesn't make sense or it doesn't feel like love um, we we believe by faith that you truly are loving in all that you do if there's anybody here today God that doesn't know you I pray today would be the day of salvation that they would take that step of faith to trust in Jesus. And Father, now as we transition to baptism, I pray this would be a special, sweet moment for the person being baptized and for us as a church. In Jesus' name.